0: Everybody and welcome to Nightlight. Tonight's really a cool show. We have some very, very en- enlightening people that are going to be on. long time ago, Patrick and I uh, did a show on the Phoenix Lights, and we had Lynn Katai on the show with us. And <clears throat> it was it was an amazing experience for me, and, and I had read her book, The Phoenix Lights. I had um, watched the documentary that she had done, and I was amazed at at the material that she had gathered. The Phoenix Lights took place March 13th, 1997. It either is or was or it is at least among one of the most incredibly well-documented mass sightings of UFOs ever, 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 ever. And so tonight we have on the show... Lynn gets high, um, in the second hour, and the first hour we have Steve Lance, who did the producing of it, who wrote the music that goes along with it, and, uh, and helped her to correlate all of the material. I think we have Steve on the phone. Steve, is that you? Yeah, it's me. Oh great. Okay. We don't we didn't recognize your number. So, let me let me give <laughs> let me give the people a small understanding of what you do. He's an amazing man. Steve has has personal and professional experience in the arts that cover a broad spectrum including motion picture and video production, professional photography, architectural design, graphic design, website design and multi-track recording. His credits include numerous commercials, documentaries, short films, music videos, promotional films, product demos and training films. And his diverse experience in multimedia spans over several decades. On top of that, just to put icing on the cake, he has witnessed two independent sightings, including the mysterious orbs that randomly appear in the greater Phoenix area and across the state of Arizona. And he also has his own production company steve lance productions llc and he started that in 2004 steve the one thing that your bio does not have which i'm very surprised at is the fact that you're also a composer Oh, and well well, the music that you put in phoenix lights as i understand it you 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 composed right
1: uh, yes, I did, actually. Um, I, I've been a musician since I was five years old, and um, I've got a full cool recording studio, and um, I've actually recorded a lot of um, tributes for uh, Tom Petty, <coughs> and I've uh, mm-hmm. done other artists like the dad, and I uh, work with a lot of uh, different local artists uh, to record their CDs. So, why yeah, is... quite a music background.
0: Yeah, why is that so missing from your bio, Which, which, you know... <laughs> To be honest um, with you, it
1: it well, I, takes I thought the I thought the news was getting a little long. <laughs> and I didn't want to oh no,
0: no, no, it's no, no, no. <laughs> but but you know, I um I I've had the experience of watching a documentary go together. And mm-hmm. and for those people that, that don't know what it entails and and I, I just have my own personal experience i did not do it i watched it but there were five tracks and and you put you know the music on one track the vote the voice on another track um the audio the 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 uh, graphics on another track and then mm-hmm. others you know there there it's uh, five or six tracks or even more and it's It's amazing because in the documentary that you did with Dr. Lynn, the number of people that were interviewed, how many people actually were interviewed during that?
1: Uh, uh, It's hard to say. It's been uh, like probably two or 3,000 people. Um, I think we had about 25 hours worth of interview footage, Uh which was um, a staggering amount of footage to go through. Every bit of that footage had to be captured digitally, uh, so that I could use it with a nonlinear editor. Back in those days, you had to do it in real time. So you had to sit through, you know, 25 hours of recording and then logging all the the, uh, the keywords for um, what was being said, because otherwise you'd never be able to find anything and and piece things together. So that was a huge task. It took many weeks to to get that done. Very tedious.
0: Well, I know that two of you did marathons of interviews and and digitally recorded all of it and then had to edit out just the pieces that were most applicable to to the storyline that you were creating i mean people <clears throat> i think when people look at stuff like this they don't understand the intricate stuff that goes in i mean you have to take their voices and you have to put them on on one of those thingies and and cut it just right <laughs> I don't know what it's yeah. called, and and <laughs> cut the voice well, exactly where it's supposed to go, and you know leaving a little leeway each end so it doesn't sound too clipped. I mean, it's it's an art. It's an amazing it's
1: art. It's definitely an art. I will say that it's gotten a lot better since the old days of using what's called an AB roll technique, where you have two playbacks and then you record back and uh you know those days it was really hard to cut video it made a mistake it was hard to go back and you could do insert edits but it was just wasn't like it is nowadays you just didn't have the control so uh it's greatly improved and certainly since the time that we were working on the phoenix lights now when i shoot something it's all in hd and everything it's all the footage is individual files so it's very quick and easy to upload the footage and it's already Ready to go, so it, it saves a tremendous
0: amount of time. Well, what what really impressed me, I've seen I've seen the the video a couple of times, and I and I have noticed that over time, you know, you've gone in and you've changed it and you've altered it and you've expanded it and you've you've you know, um, this the last version that I saw, I, I I have to admit I got on YouTube, but it had the children in it, and mm-hmm. I mean this is this is not you know, a, a, a one shot and done. This is something that, that has had, I don't know how many different lifetimes, but, but, you know, even each time I've seen it, it's been expanded on and, and improved and stretched. And, and um, it's, it's amazing how you're able to go back in. You're able to, you know, fool with the innards so that, so that you can add more material. And um, Mm. is it ever going to be finished? (laughs)
1: well you know it's an ongoing story and uh, it hasn't come to any completion yet Uh, we still don't know what it was that flew over Arizona in 1997 Um, and the official explanation certainly don't uh, hold water at all and um, so whatever it was that happened in my belief is it was something extraterrestrial in nature Uh um, that it could very well happen again I think If I was going to speculate, that's based on everything that I had read and all the witness accounts and all the testimonials, all the people I had spoken to personally, off-camera, off-the-record too, including pilots. Um, I just feel like this was sort of a a test, sort of to test the waters and see, and and this is not the only event, by the way. There's been other similar events around the world, similar Mm -hmm. sightings. And I think that it's really all about testing the water, seeing where humanity is, seeing how we respond, seeing how our military and our government responds and the official channels that, uh, that move all the information about the event and how it's handled. And just get an idea of where we are at a spiritual level, because I think that disclosure, having full disclosure with other races is not a question of if, it's a matter of when. And I think when is determined by where we are and, and, and where the masses are of the, of the planet uh, as far as their spiritual involvement. Because if we're not ready, then it's likely to cause a lot of chaos and panic and fear. And I think that those who wish to connect with us the most are very highly involved. And the last thing we want to do is to creating any kind of fear or panic. So um, it's, it's interesting to see where the story is going. We've had It seems like we've had a little bit of a lull in these past few years. I, I had dozens and dozens of sightings leading up to 2012, and then nothing after that. Wow. And it's been all these many years, and I haven't had any sightings, and it just seems like we're kind of in a holding pattern. And what I've read... From some channel sources, it does seem that we are in sort of a holding pattern uh, for various reasons. But um, I think that we're getting towards the end of that uh, waiting period, and probably uh, latter part of this year and next year, we're going to start to see uh, some big changes. So, well,
0: you know, we uh, just we,
1: ju- so.
0: so. we just hit the 20th anniversary of it, and and you know over the last 20 years, I would say that, that consciousness of humanity has shifted tremendously. Oh, and, yes. and what, what I experienced, I saw a UFO in 66 or 67. Um, <clears throat> and it changed my life. It changed my life totally. And I'm finding that, that in speaking to other people that have had near death experiences or who have seen a UFO, that, you know that that there was there's something that takes place within your consciousness that shifts your focus to a more universal understanding of life as we know it and and it happens to almost everyone not, I, I'm not going to say it, it's absolute because there was there were people standing next to me when I saw the UFO that didn't see it, and then others who were frightened of it, and I just wanted to to go on board and take a tour. Mm. So so it's kind of it's it's fascinating in that um, those 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 golden globes seem to be what's what seems to be the precursor to sightings of of any sort, whether it's a crop circle or whether it's UFOs. Have you noticed that?
1: Yeah, well, um, the two sightings that I'll make mention of that uh, had a profound effect on me was uh, the first time it happened uh, in Northern California and we had just returned home from a spiritual gathering that meets like once every five weeks or so. And I went up to my office and I was just finishing up emails and I got this very loud thought, this this voice in my head telling me that I needed to go outside. And I, I thought it was just my imagination at first. I kept working and I heard the voice again and it was much more emphatic. Well, that time I listened and I went outside and looked up in the sky where I thought that I should be looking. And sure enough, an orb flew over my house, fairly low altitude. Um, I, my reaction was not of fear or even of excitement. It it, it was kind of like, like I'm so accepting of them. I mean, I, I just did my peace love gesture, which is just like holding a, you know, putting your fingers in a peace sign, bringing up your heart and then, you know, cruising it up and holding out the peace sign to them. Well, as soon as I did that, the orb went up super bright. It just like powered up and uh-huh. it just kept going and it kept going. And the thing was, it happened again about a week or so later. Had the same thing happen. I was in the house I was getting ready to settle in, watch some TV. And I had that voice in my head again. And, and this when I listened right away. I thought, oh yeah, I remember this. So I went outside and sure enough, it happened again. And I'm glad it happened twice, because, you know, after so many years, you start to maybe even question, you know, what happened. But since it happened to me twice, I can't deny that it, it was real. And I, I can't come up with any other explanation other than it was extraterrestrial in nature. And I felt that they were part of my space family, to be honest. Uh-huh. And um, I can't think of, you know, I'm a smart guy. You know, I know a lot about aviation. I know a lot about the military. I know a lot about some secret projects. <laughs> Um, I've done a lot of digging and researching, and I understand, you know, a lot of things are going on behind the scenes that maybe most people don't know about. And and I know that I, what I was looking at was definitely not man-made. It was not something that was military. It was not something conventional. It certainly wasn't anything natural. And I've explored all those possibilities too. Uh, we 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 uh, interviewed Robert Golka, who was um, he was one of the pioneers for uh, he created the world's largest uh, Tesla, um, what's it called? The, the Tesla, the, you know, I'm talking about the big Tesla foil thing.
0: Oh, the Tesla you, antenna?
1: You well, know, it's, 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 um, I don't know why I'm, I'm spacing out, Oh, it's a
0: resonator thing. Yeah, I know exactly Tesla what
1: foil. you mean. Te- you know what I'm saying? It's, a, it, it's a very powerful. But like, um, anyway, he was actually, one well, of the only people who was able to create um, plasma, you know, these, you um, plasma balls uh, Mm -hmm. in a lab, in a lab situation. But even he told us, he said that, you know, these orbs like the ones that have been seen over Phoenix are nothing like that. You know, you need, they will sometimes come from a powerful electrical storm, or there has to be some earthly discharge of powerful electrical energy, but you would never see them fly in formation like that across the state and all that. So, you know, looking at those orbs, I thought, there was nothing, there was just nothing that you could explain, you know, to explain in a way, and it had to be what I felt it was, that it was something extraterrestrial, and these were my space family So, um, but that changes you, you know, you, you, it just sort of validates that there's something much bigger beyond, you know, what we perceive as being normal on this planet.
0: Sure, you know, and these other it,
1: races and-
0: it expands
1: you know, our concept of home as well. Yeah, I mean, just imagine the possibilities, you know. And, you know, really what you're trying to do is figure out what is the bigger picture and how does everything fit into it? Mm-hmm. I mean, even, even in terms of uh, life and death, you know, where does the soul go in the afterlife? Where is the afterlife? How does that relate to the overall picture? Is it in another dimension, another frequency? You know, does, does uh, life exist in many different levels of frequencies? If everything is vibrating, it's an out of possibility. And so, when you think of it that way, it really kind of helps you to sort of get, you know, get a
2: perspective.
1: <laughs> it's, it's, you know, I I always remember the uh, the analogy of Flatland, uh-huh. it's a 2D world, and you suddenly stick a a glass. <laughs> In the middle of flatland, well, they can't perceive that it's a glass or that there's even anything in the glass. All they can perceive is there's something circular that's interfered into their world, and that's about all they know. Yeah. So uh, I like to I like to see what, what goes beyond the circle, and you know, see the whole glass basically.
0: <laughs> well, you're not <laughs> you're not alone there. Um, I've not I've not had the the honor to see any of the the globes. But but I did see a, a a a saucer, a ship, whatever you want to call it. And and I you know, it was so long ago. Um <laughs> I guess they're into new models these days because in in ninety seven it was basically the triangle shape. And, yeah. you know, it, it, it feels that they're moving more and more towards different shapes. And and you know, if you look at our cars you can understand how, you know, every generation has their own trademark so to speak um yeah. yeah or you know i i i do believe that it's interdimensional travel personally myself and mm-hmm. and so it it's it's kind of exciting to to be able to um especially be with other people that 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 have the same understanding that this is a life shifting, life changing experience. And everyone I've talked to and especially and in, in, in the in the documentary it, it does talk about how people change. It's either the documentary or the book. So but but how people change their attitude towards life and, and how it shifts their focus and, and shifts their understanding as to what's really important more than the big toys and the money and the power more or less the 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 interaction with each other and, and the fact that we are one family is seems to be the theme that seems to be coming out. Yeah and yeah. and I'm so We're one glad big
1: universal
0: family. Right. And and I'm so glad that, that the documentary had to have gone through several different shifts between the first time I saw it, which was probably oh gosh. It was almost a decade ago, it feels like. And, and the one that I saw just the other night, it, it, you're, you're going, either you're, you're comfortable with or you're going in the direction of, of the enlightenment and the spiritual aspect to the whole process, more so than, than when first her, Lynn's book came out. Because when it first came, came out, I remember talking to her afterwards and I said, you know, all these spiritual buzzwords in there, what's up? And she just laughed at me and, and now here we are at the 20 year anniversary and I reread the book and it's half of it is into the spiritual stuff suddenly so that, so that either humanity is becoming more accepting or she's more comfortable with letting it all out, whatever, Um, you know, anybody who's going out for this book, read the, read the most current one, because that is to me, the, the best of the, of the two.
1: And yeah. And <clears throat> I'm sure that she'll speak for herself when she comes on here at eight o'clock. But um she would probably tell you that yeah, she's gone through her own uh transformation, you know, over these many years. I mean, since she wrote the first book, um, you know, a lot of uh, you know, soul searching and researching and just just changing as a person and seeing things differently. And uh
0: Realizing right. there's
1: a, a much bigger spiritual aspect to all of this, and it's more than just you know a UFO sighting, which you know I think kind of trivializes a little bit. I mean, <laughs> I, I think this is um, I think this is you know a precursor to um, a big shift in humanity, um, a shift in our consciousness, a shift to a higher way of being on this planet.
2: Uh-huh. And then I
1: certainly would like to believe that that's true because uh, I like to think that there'll be an end to all the the suffering and the, you know all the stuff that goes on in this planet all the negative stuff, and well, just hope that you know we will um, transcend past all of that and become a, a more advanced society. And
0: well, I, think I, that's
1: I what yeah, we're destined I, to do.
0: Yeah, I think we're on our way for sure. Um, so now, when you met with her in two thousand and four, and sort of decided that you were going to create this documentary that had to be so overwhelming for you with all the material with all the and and i love the fact that excuse me that that it was you and lynn and your mother who (laughs) who trekked all over the place and and what i found fascinating was your mother carried most of the equipment now how did you manage
1: that (laughs) She uh, she didn't carry us with gear, but she did a lot of a lot of stuff, and um, and she still does help me on my shoes. She does all of my uh, makeup and hair, and she does a great job. And and uh, you know it's a nice way for us to bond. And uh, she's always been very supportive of me, and uh, loves the film industry and loves to be a part of it. And and I love giving her the opportunity to be part of it too. So uh, we're having a lot of fun with that. But yeah, we, it was basically the three of us. I have a very crowded expedition uh, loaded with gear um, and traveling about, and, uh, you know, Lynn and I pretty much funded this whole thing ourselves, and um, I, you know, ignorance is bliss too, you know, when I started out on the project, I really didn't know what I was getting myself into. Um, It just kind of kept growing and growing, getting bigger and bigger, and there was more interviews and more interviews, I'm like, oh my God, this is really something. Every first, the first cut, I think, was like over four and a half hours. Wow. <laughs> so, uh, we got a lot of cutting to do here. Uh, a lot of people didn't make it into the final cut, unfortunately. But um, uh, it was a big project. It took me over a year. I would say from start to finish, you know, from the first bit that we shot to finishing it up in time for the... Uh, we were trying to get it into the Phoenix Film Festival. We had to get it in by a certain deadline but we just couldn't quite make it, <laughs> it <was> too tight. <laughs>
2: well, and so that... we
1: decided instead to, to have our own special screening at, at uh, Harkins uh, on Shea Boulevard in uh, Scottsdale, Arizona. And we've had it there uh, every year since. We've had special showings there. And, of course, it's been all over. It's uh, been a distribution. Uh, it's, it's been on, uh, uh, I've seen it on the Blockbuster and the shelves, which is pretty exciting. Uh,
2: mm-hmm. It's
1: been on Netflix. It's been on Pay-Per-View. Uh, It's been in different theaters across the country. It's been in other countries as well. Um, So it's done pretty well. And it's won uh, uh, several awards and nominations, uh, including Best Director and Best Picture.
0: Oh, lots of them. Now, I I can't imagine that there is anyone out there that doesn't know about the Phoenix Lights. But... But it, it, you know, just just in case there is the, the the a a person here or there who has not heard it it was a it was a mass sighting of um, large ships that moved very slowly across uh, Phoenix, Arizona, and the entire length of the sighting took a number of hours, didn't it?
1: Yeah, it, it actually started up in. Um uh, as far as we know, up in Nevada, um, I don't know if it was in any other states, but uh, generally it kind of started up around the Henderson, Nevada and kind of moved south, um, went through um, uh, the northwestern end of, of Arizona and moved down through the central part of the state. Eventually, uh, this mass sighting occurred over Phoenix. It's pretty strange because um, the witness accounts, the number of craft vary in, ter- in terms of where the witnesses were it almost seems like there were a bunch more craft that either appeared or manifested it in some way, uh, as they were, uh, ready to make this big flyover over Phoenix. And, um, you know, the craft, most of the craft were described as being, uh, at least a mile across or close to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, most of them were uh, Delta shaped kind of Chevron shaped craft. There uh, there's one that was, uh, reported as being circular. It was over the McDowell mountains. Um, and, uh, yeah, they, they moved very very slow. We had a number of witnesses who described being directly underneath as it flew over. And, it, you know, as one witness said, it was flying way too slow to stay up, even if it was a Cessna. And <laughs> uh, <laughs> and, it, and it was enormous. And, and uh, witnesses say that it looked like um, it was so close to the ground that they could just reach up and touch it. And it just kept going and going. So um, that's, you know, first of all, you know, when you try to think about what it could have been, or you know, what logical explanation there could be, um, I, I'm a licensed pilot, so I understand airspace and airspace rules. Um, there's no way that this was military. There's no way that they would have had anything this big. There's no way that they would have flown something this big, even if they had it, um, low to the ground over a busy city, uh, right through the middle of Class B airspace, without even have any contact with the uh, air traffic controller, um, who I spoke to personally, and said that, you know, he saw the lights, but, you know, it wasn't appearing on radar, and there was no communication, and they didn't know what to do. The military couldn't do anything either. I mean, they, as soon as they approached the craft, they basically disappeared. Yeah. And, um, so, um, you know, that's not military. You know, obviously, you know, it certainly isn't anything natural, so why couldn't it be extra, extraterrestrial craft? You know why couldn't it be? Why why are so many skeptics so sure that it's not possible? Like you were talking about a tooth fairy or you know something that we know doesn't exist. I mean, there's a, a vast universe out there, um, and you can't go by the old argument that well. You know, there's too much space to go from here to there. It takes too long to go from here to there. We don't know how other beings are getting around. No. You know, we don't know what other methods and means are possible out there. What do we know? We, we're we not space travelers. Um, True. While well, we've gone to the moon and all of a sudden we're an expert on universal travel.
0: <laughs> well, so you that know. It just doesn't hold
1: yeah, water, you know.
0: No, it doesn't. And I think the other thing that, at least with the one that I saw, there was no noise, and there was no oh, air yeah. displacement. And yeah. if if we had that kind of technology, we'd be flying it now. And we don't.
1: Oh yeah, for sure. And and the sightings that I had, they were all uh, silent. I also had a daytime sighting during the uh, solar eclipse in 2012. I was with some friends. Uh, we had binoculars. We watched uh, this strange-looking, metallic-looking craft. Well, it looked metallic, but it was kind of glinting. I and mean, I never could quite tell exactly what it was because it, it, it almost looked like it was only partially in our dimension. I don't know how else to explain it. But it literally, uh, we watched it for a little while, and then it literally went right over our heads. And I mean right over my house,
2: mm-hmm. directly
1: over our house. And I, I had the binoculars on it, and I could see there was some kind of a craft, but it wasn't like completely, like I said, it almost looked like, and Star Trek, when they, you know, they go into that clone mode, the, um, you know, disappear. No, the clucking disappear. Yeah, the mode, and um, <laughs> clone <laughs> mode. <laughs> so <laughs> it, it was kind of like that. It was kind of like halfway in, halfway out. But it definitely wasn't anything military or anything that I could think of. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's it's uh, it's totally possible, and I think it's just like I said. I think we're getting. the point in our uh, in our time you know in our calendar here um, where it's time for humanity to be uplifted and shifted up into a higher consciousness and that could also happen from other events like the sun um, uh, massive solar flares it could also cause change there's a whole lot of things going on out there that um, that could cause big changes on this planet energetically and there's no way that we could either stop it and I would say in many cases even know about it. It's just gonna happen.
0: And, well there's uh, there are the um the progressions of the equinoxes that 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 uh, we're going through here on this planet. There are also progressions of cosmic equinoxes and once every 27,000 years they coincide together and we're in one of those time frames now and during those time frames there is easier there is easier communication between the different veils between the different fields between the different dimensions so that so that something like this happening now within the last ten or so years, I would say is is very common, very understandable. And it, it wasn't just in Phoenix that this happened. In Phoenix, Phoenix is the one that's gotten all of the all of the attention and there were like ten thousand witnesses. I mean, it was huge. But there were similar flyovers in other parts of the world in about the same time frame, weren't there?
1: Yeah, uh, actually, Stevensville, Texas, um, was uh, that occurred right around the time that um, we had a distributor looking at the Phoenix Lights for and considering it for distribution. And when the Stevensville uh, sighting occurred, it, it literally pushed them over the edge. It was like, oh yeah, well this is this is definitely a big topic now. Uh, but actually, uh, the siding occurred not too far from the Bushes uh, Ranch, mm-hmm. and it's um, uh, was a very similar type of sighting. And there's there was also one up in Chicago. Um, sort of south of Chicago, um, a number of years back. There's there's been others in other countries too. That, you know, the descriptions are very similar. Um, now, you know, just to kind of clarify, you know, we live in a very complicated old universe here. Um, we've got cases where we have actual extraterrestrial craft who are coming here, I believe. But we also have, uh, I also believe that there's the uh, TR3B which is a triangular shape craft that the Black Ops developed, uh, which is from uh, technology that was back engineered from craft that they had gotten a hold of. And, and it, it, bring, it, it opens up a whole big can of worms, but uh, there could actually be uh, sightings that we've had over the years um, that could actually be uh, craft that was developed through the Black Ops. Um, and then there's other races too. There's you know third dimensional races that have created the saucer type craft, um, the Zeta Reticulans, and, and so forth. But there's higher beings that you know, they don't even really need craft. They just seem to appear in these orbs. I don't know what the orbs are. But it's like a ship, or if it's some kind of a you know some sort of sort of an energy field. But um, that would be the more advanced, higher up type beings. So there's, there's a whole variety of, of um, different levels, if you want to think of it that way, of, um, of different extraterrestrial races. And that means a whole different, a whole range of different types of craft. And then also um, we have some of our own mixed in there, too. So I think that kind of complicates the whole thing. People might say, oh, well, I, this, this, all this stuff has got to be the TR3D. But then if they're going to admit that, then they have to, to, to also admit that there's there's a lot of secret stuff going on. It's like, well, if they have a TR3D craft, you know, why isn't that being used for the benefit of man? Why are we using that as a means of uh, transportation you know, for people? To travel?
2: <laughs> you can you know, say that about that a so lot of
1: secret? stuff. <laughs> I mean, and then is there other technologies that have been kept secret? Because I believe that uh, free energy technologies have been uh, kept Secret for a long time because you know there's too much money to be made by those who are in power. Uh, They certainly don't want people having free energy. But what I don't understand about that is you still have to pay for the equipment. You still have to pay to have it installed and maintained and upgraded and all that. There's still a huge industry in that, even if if it it does produce free energy. So
2: well,
0: I mean, look back at Nikola Tesla. I mean, he wanted to give the free energy away, and. Edison hadn't had a meter, so guess who won? But
1: uh... <laughs> yeah, you always follow the money and uh, you find out that that's that's a reason that you know we're still driving cars. I mean we I, I think about this a lot when I'm on the road. I mean, we have technology, we have the means for people to travel um, without having the, the problems of accidents and you know people getting killed in accidents all the time. It could actually be done. Um, in a much more advanced way. Our our transportation systems are very out of date. And I kind of laugh when I see, you know, I know the space shuttle is a very sophisticated thing and I don't want to, you know, uh, downplay it, but uh, the idea of going up into space using any type of propulsion is really archaic because there are so many other means of doing that. Um, And the, the type of technology, even with the lower, Uh, like even just the races that are a few couple hundred years ahead of us, um, is that they they seem to be able to oppose the gravity of planets and use the gravity of planets to move through space. And so they don't really need propulsion. They can can, um, basically levitate silently uh, just by opposing the gravitational fields and creating their own gravitational field. And that also explains why they can do these incredible maneuvers uh, without being squashed like bugs, because... They're they're in their own uh, electrical electromagnetic field, and basically, you know, you don't have that issue. So um, I think there's uh, a lot to be said for a lot of technologies that, uh, unfortunately, you know, have been kept from the public domain, and we're kind of stuck back in the old days. Uh, Even though we think (laughs) we're all modern and technical, because we got our you know, cell phones and all that. And, yeah, those are great. But we should be much further down the road as far as free energy technologies, um, also um, huge advances in medicine uh, with technology that can heal people uh, by aligning our energies, uh, literally uh, making it impossible for cancer to grow. Uh, you know, it's, it's all energetically based. But all these technologies have been kept from the public domain, because those who are in power are making too much money get away so well,
0: yeah, I mean they've been using the Tesla energy with cancer patients, and they've been finding that that it has been amazing. um if you look at the Bosnian pyramids, they found that the tunnels underneath the Bosnian pyramids are so are are so full of um, highly charged negative ions that people who go in there with allergies with illnesses and even some with cancers. Have and spent time down there have come out cured so that so that there's a ton of stuff that's coming out lately that is just amazing that that I don't think the governments can control and I think that's what's going to happen these these discoveries are going to just absolutely overwhelm the government and they won't be able to contain them any longer Uh, I I know that uh, there there is so much stuff that is being totally kept from the masses as a whole and yeah. um, it, it's, it's, corporate, it's, it's corporate entities that are doing it and at some point in time they're going to lose control or things are going to get so out of control that they will slip and once they slip and people start to know the facts then, then they're done for so I, I think it is, yeah, is yeah, we're coming to, into a time frame like that and it's going to be very interesting to see um, just how much truth comes out, not only in this country but in other countries as well. So that it, so that it's a matter of people waking up. And I think I truly believe the sightings of UFOs, and there haven't been that many lately. And and it, there 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 was a channel or No, no, it was Billy Meyer, I think that said that most of the extraterrestrials, almost all of them, left the planet in 97, which I find interesting because that's the time frame that coincides with the Phoenix sightings. So mm. I'm wondering if that was their, their goodbye tour. <laughs>
1: but, <laughs> well, it, it was only for temporary. Um, oh, yeah. I don't think they have ever really gone away. I think that there are some, some uh, um, more negative um, ETs that were here uh, kind of a rogue group who were kind of running a show and manipulating uh, the Illuminati and the people who were behind the scenes. And um, they left uh, in the late 90s honoring their original agreement. But the, uh, apparently the Illuminati forces decided rather than, uh, you know, turn put on their white hats like they were supposed to, they continued on with their abuse of power. But uh, I think their power is, is slowly coming to an end. And I think that... Um, there are a number of things that are they've built in their institutions that are starting to crumble and uh-huh. losing their money base. And, they're, you know, I, for one, really look forward to the day when all of this can come out and people can learn the truth about. And, for example, I think that it's uh, there's a misconception that the people in government um, have are like keeping secrets. But they know what's going on. The, the truth is, most of our elected officials in Congress don't really know what's going on.
2: No, that's true. Not
1: any more than the average person. They don't know any more about your phones. They don't know any more about 9/11 or any, anything on that end. They're, you know, it's, if you want to keep things secret, then you make sure that all your minions know nothing. hmm everything, all information gets channeled vertically to the top. The people who are making all the decisions on this earth are the most powerful, wealthy people on this planet. Um, You know, whether it's, you're talking to Bulgars, the Rothschilds, the Rockefellers, the amount of money that they have is insane. We're not even talking billions. We're talking beyond trillions. Um, When you have that kind of money, you can buy pretty much anything. Oh, that's true. Those are the people who own the industrial companies and the industrial military complex, they're the ones who profit. They're the ones who profit from war. They're the ones who instigate war because that's how they profit. Um, You know, there's no profit in well people. You want to keep people sick as much as possible. Of course, they would love to reduce world population. And you have David Rockefeller even so much as admitting that in his his bio. Uh There's no denying it. Um, You know, when JFK had his famous speech, talking about, the, you know, beware, um, and especially he was pointing out the industrial-military complex and central banking, um, which, by the way, one of our old presidents back in, I can't remember which one it was, was back in, after the, um, the Civil War. Also, we had a centralized banking system at that time, uh, which was done away with, but that president warned of us ever getting back into that again it would be a very bad thing.
0: Well, I think Eisen, nice Eisenhower. Eisenhower warned us as well.
1: Yeah. So there's been warnings from different presidents who know what's going on. but JFK kind of said too much, and I think that that was uh, that's what led to his demise. I think that this was this was all about the black ops and you know the Illuminati who really make all the decisions on all these things, but they're very secretive and uh, you know they don't. It's it's almost impossible to connect them legally to anything because they've insulated themselves so well. And it's a game where they've made all the rules. so They know exactly how to, to stay out of jail and all that. So it's, um, I just can't wait for all this to come out and for people to see the real truth behind everything. And once we can do that, we can get on with, you know, becoming a more advanced race. Imagine living in a world where we don't have crime Imagine living in a world where there's no homeless people. There's no starvation. Everybody has shelters. Uh, There's no – the governments are small, and you don't have all the corruption and all that that takes place. You don't have overcrowded prisons. You don't have um, all the ugliness of –
0: You don't have prisons.
1: Instead, we'll live in harmony with the the environment, you know, with Mother Earth. Instead of just building roads everywhere and, you know – Uh, plowing everything down and bulldozing everything down and building parking lots and buildings, you know, I mean, (laughs) we'll be much more in harmony with nature. And imagine what a beautiful place that would be. And of course I'm talking now about the song from John Lennon, you know, imagine
0: (laughs) that, you know, (laughs) know? it's funny because that used to be the theme song for my show and um, yeah, for years, for seven years, it was the theme song. But when I came over to this station it had to be podsyfe music, so I couldn't use it but <clears throat> oh, but yeah. <laughs> you know the you know, imagine is, is is I love it the words, and he was obviously someone who saw far into the future and and yeah. you know, an amazing an amazing man, and again, one again cut off before his his time i I guess in essence, we all go when we're supposed to, but it just felt like he had a lot more he could have said. But oh, yeah. but I do believe that that there has been mass awakening uh, to the planet over the last five years that that people are more and more and more becoming awake and aware and and not not standing for stupidity and uh, I, I think you know our elections are showing it the fact that that there is more upheaval in more places on the globe um because people are standing up for their rights whether it's it's you know just just to have the just to be allowed their own free will and and it's you know free will is something that we were gifted with and that's part of what makes us unique to this planet anyhow and to be able to have and have the the sight to see where our free will can take us is is something else as well. There are, you know, where there used to be just these little boxes that everybody fit in, that's not the case anymore today. there's there's not a lot of little boxes. There's one big box, and you're allowed yeah. to find where you belong. And now, now this is causing a lot of problems with a lot of people, but but everybody is is able to look for, you know, the what about me? Where do I take this? Where do I take my life? What do I do with my life? And it's it's important to not just survive, but rather to celebrate. Yeah. And
1: yeah. Well, um, what another way of putting it is uh, a lot of people are disconnecting themselves from the matrix. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, one of my favorite movies some Hidden Messaging in that movie is, is you know, if you haven't seen The Matrix, you should definitely see it. Um, there's a lot of really good messaging in there. But, um, yeah, I mean, really, uh, it's, it's taken the blinders off. I mean, there's so much information that's available. Um, you kind of have to be discerning when you look on the Internet. You kind of have to go with your gut feeling on things. But um, there's plenty of information out there. Um, you know, if you want to take the time to study. I think a lot of the skeptics that I've spoken to over the years really don't take the time to read or study any of this stuff. They just kind of have a knee-jerk reaction about it, and they form an opinion about it, but they don't really back it up with anything. And, um, you know, you know, I think some people just don't want to, they want to tune it out. They really can't deal with it. They're they're trying to get through their busy lives. Um, I look at some of our friends that are just so engrossed and um, you know, their jobs and they barely have any time for themselves. They've got family, they've got kids, they've got schedules, and it's just absolutely crazy. And they can't think beyond, you know, what they've got to do that day or the next day. And so to start thinking outside the box in a spiritual capacity is just, it's just not something that fits into the lifestyle. And so they can't handle thinking about these kind of big topics. But I think that it's important that enough people do. Because we're trying to get, you know, we're trying to get to the point where it's at the tipping point of consciousness for humanity, where we can finally tip it over uh, to where we can have that um, the big upgrade in our consciousness and, and have a whole different society here. I mean, on other planets, it's, it, it, it's nothing like this. We have a tremendous amount of, of, of diversity between positive and negative here, good and bad. Uh, So it's a a great place for souls to come and learn and to to gain a tremendous amount of of soul growth and learning um, on this planet. Uh, Whereas, like, you know, like one or two lifetimes here could be the equivalent of, you know, dozens of lifetimes on other planets because they just don't have the diversity and the opportunities for lessons that, that can be learned through the positive versus the bad. Um, we have an understanding of death in here. Other plants, they do. You know, they can easily communicate with those who have left the physical, and to them, there's no such thing as death. It's just, you know, but here, it's a very final and, you know, sad, horrible thing, you know. And um, so there's a lot of um, spiritual growth and soul growth that occurs through loss, uh, death. And so that makes Kind of a, an unusual place in that way too, so um, I don't know. But I think that I think that you know, there's a, a everything kind of runs its course, and I think that Earth has reached the end of uh, a long era of like thirteen thousand years of having uh, you know, allowed, I should say, to sort of drop down into the lower vibrations and having these extremes of of good and bad and you know, evil and, and all of that. But I think we're we're getting to the end of that period and it's time for us to, to awaken humanity. I think there's a lot of uh, new souls here. It's interesting when I talk to kids, um, there's, they're so open uh, to, you know, life on other planets and, uh, it's like no big deal to them. Um, oh yeah. Uh, but you know,
0: you, know, you got to understand university. something. Um, First of all I taught school for 25 years and and I am older than you. So so <laughs> so um so you know I've been through that period of time where um education and and religion and all of these were were all they were set in stone. There was no way you could question, there was no way you could debate, there was no way you could in any way shape or form go outside of the lines that they drew for you now yeah. i mean i'm i'm looking back in the in the 40s 50s and 60s and the 60s the the, the lines started to you know kind of get fuzzy a little bit <laughs> but 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 it wasn't until probably the 80s and 90s, where people were really looking at the, the element of spirituality being something that was not instead of religion, but it was alongside of. It was build upon and go further. And, and it wasn't, you know, religion wasn't the law. It was a philosophy. Mm-hmm. And spirituality is another philosophy that, that just that in many ways takes us to another level, another dimension, another aspect of understanding our purpose and our reason and and, and what the destiny of humanity actually is. And it, it's it's an exciting trip. But for many people who were, you know, old you know, older generations, that was not something that you looked beyond. That was heresy. So oh, you yeah.
3: know yeah. so so
0: we we are no longer getting burned at the stake, which is a good thing and <laughs> yeah, yeah. i I like that, <laughs> but um, we're getting close to the top of the hour too. I want to let you know that when the music plays oh, yeah. we'll have we'll have about a three to five minute break, and okay. then i'm gonna then I'm gonna bring lynn on but but you know i i I want to have you back again because I would love to really go further with your philosophy on where life is going because I think it would be a lot of fun to go much deeper into it. If you, if you're open oh, to yeah. that.
1: I can go very deep. Believe me, we, we barely skimmed on the surface, uh, on this show, but, um, you know, I, I just, you know, hope that people will just keep an open mind. Um, don't get too caught up in this, the whole human rat race, you know, you got to kind of get out of it sometimes to get a greater perspective on things and, and realize that there's a much, much bigger universe that we're part of and that there are big cycles that, um, you know, that, that cause change that, that we have, either we're not aware of them or even if we are, there's nothing we can do to stop them.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And but it's just coming to accept that, um, well, I'll throw out a couple of things here. There's just a couple of good things to leave you with. One is that, um, you know, we are spiritual beings having a physical existence here. and We're mm-hmm. spiritual beings having a human experience. Um the other saying which I love and I'm not sure who coined this term, but it's one of my favorites, is that we never die. It's just the scenery that changes.
0: That's true. But and I'll throw let, let, let me it's, throw it's, one it's, in too. We are we are who we've been waiting for.
1: Oh yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. That's definitely a good one. And uh we are the ones that, that we're waiting for. I mean we also can't expect that other beings are going to come here and solve all the problems for us. We have to meet them halfway and we have to reach a certain level of involvement exactly. um, before we can really start to see changes take effect. Um, it's kind of like taking a, a kindergarten student and trying to throw them in, into college. You know, they're just not quite ready for it. So um, you know, we kind of have to think of it that way. Uh, but I think we are, we're all high school students now ready to graduate and go into college. And it's a whole different experience, uh, especially when you can have open contact with other beings from all over the universe, having the ability to travel uh, very easily, not only around this planet, but the other planets that are in the solar system and then outside of the solar system. I and mean, how, how cool would that be? Um, and all of the technologies that have been kept secret will suddenly become available to us, which will totally change, our lifestyle. None of us will be sick anymore. Um, it, it's just there's so many advantages to, um, you know, to moving on. We'll never have to sit in traffic again. <laughs>
2: well, you know, <laughs> we'll never the
1: never have to sit in a traffic jam again. I look forward to that one. <laughs>
2: um,
1: you know, and, okay. just, um, and also people will have the ability to do meaningful things. And it's yeah. no waste of time. Okay.
0: Steve, thank you. We'll be back.
1: Okay.
3: Hello
0: there. And this is Nightlight once more. And we're going to bring Dr. Lynn Katai on in just a second. But before I do, if you like what you're hearing, click over to the support page and make a donation to help us keep this amazing station up and running. Revolution Radio at freedomslips.com is totally listener supported from the owner, to the host, to the producers, who we can't live without, to the staff, all are working here because we love the work and are dedicated to putting out quality material for all of you. Be it large or small, every donation is greatly appreciated and helps us all keep on supplying information and material to educate and enlighten that isn't found anywhere else. Now, we have our second half, which, which is, is going to be just as exciting as the first half, I promise you. Um, we have Dr. Lynn Katai with us, and her firsthand experiences as well as her amazing photographs are considered by optical physicists and experts in the field as historic. After 13 years of meticulous research, she has combined stunning data and personal interviews in the Phoenix Lights documentary. A comprehensive examination of the strange lights seen over Phoenix and throughout Arizona on March thirteenth, nineteen ninety-seven. This groundbreaking documentary is based on her best-selling book, *The Phoenix Lights: A Skeptic's Discovery That We Are Not Alone*, and it features dozens of credible, in, in, dozens of credible eyewitnesses, local military personnel, former Phoenix vice mayor Francis Barwood and university-based scientists and other experts who give compelling testimony to the reality of these mysterious global visitations. What were they? How did they affect the witnesses? What do they mean? And I, I recommend everyone to read her the second edition of the book, the, the third, new updated one. <laughs> or the third edition, whatever it is. The, read the latest edition of the book. You got it. Because Because... She comes out of the closet and goes into much deeper material. And I accused her of avoiding it when the first edition came out. So do you remember that, Lynn?
3: Uh, no, but uh, actually, the the uh, publishers wouldn't put it in. I wanted to put the uh, the new data that I'm sharing for the first time in the 2017 edition, uh, the third edition of the book, and uh, they thought it would confuse the public. Um, I thought it was really important because it's actually what prompted me to come forward, um, and and really verified for me that this is all real and, and needs to be shared. So um, I'm thrilled that I can share it for the first time. And also, I've been actually studying this um, phenomenon uh, up close and personal since 1995. So it's really 22 years that I've been involved with uh, with this topic. And uh, after thousands of people saw what I had been not only witnessing but documenting on 35-millimeter Film for, for two years uh, on March 13, 1997, when thousands of people if people don't that are listening haven't heard about the Phoenix Lights mass sighting, on March 13, 1997, while thousands of people were outside looking up to the sky purposely to catch a glimpse of the Hale-Bopp comet, which was very clear in the northwest sky, they also caught a glimpse of mile to much larger. In fact, I just did a, a conference with the head of the uh, National UFO Reporting Center in Seattle, Washington, Peter Davenport in Oregon a few months ago, and he said, and he's had thousands of reports, uh, that one of the craft, and it wasn't just one, by the way, which we'll get into, but one of the ten different craft that, that people described statewide and beyond was actually eight miles wide. So we're, we're talking about something that is just so phenomenal. I mean, I can't even conceive of that myself. But nonetheless, uh, on March 13th, people were seeing these orbs, these balls of light that seemed to be attached to something or at a force field holding them in rock-solid formation, massive size, totally silent, or actual craft. And if you're near a computer, you can go on the Phoenix Lights Network website, www.thephoenixlights.net, and it's packed with information to, to explore and consider. But if you go to the photo page, you'll see the 35-millimeter the photographs. But if you go to the GAP page, it's the Geospatial Animation Project. And by the way, the, the whole website was built by Steve Lance, who also collaborated with me on the film. He is brilliant and talented and just and a very, very special person. We're so lucky to have him involved with with the Phoenix Lights. And um, the the GAP page, Geospatial Animation Project, is a 12-year compilation of thousands of reports from the National UFO Reporting Center in Seattle, Washington, Arizona, MUFON, Mutual UFO Network. Uh, As you mentioned, the former uh... vice mayor and councilman francis barwood who was the only elected official that actually asked innocently for an investigation months after the mass sighting was just plastered by the media it was very scary to come forward i stayed anonymous for seven years you mentioned i came out of the closet i came forward in two thousand and four but nonetheless uh... also village labs which was collecting uh... hundreds and hundreds of local they were computer lab here near ASU, Arizona State University. And after 12 years of compiling the data, Michael Tanner, who is now deceased, and and Bill Hamilton actually discovered that if two or more people saw the same thing, there were 10 different crafts that people were describing. And they're very different. If you look at the illustrations that are beautifully illustrated and the animations by by Larry Lowe, um, they're very different. Now, whether it was one craft that could morph and look different or from a their perspective from where they were standing or a parade and that was what the bottom line was that ultimately the investigators um, deciphered was going on because there were multiple things going on at the same time in different areas that's one of the main reasons i came forward after seven years of anonymity to set the record straight even to till, till today 20 years later there is so much mis- and disinformation out there. It wasn't just one or two events on March 13th, 1997. It was many events, starting actually for weeks before. And that's something I'd like to get into if we can, because there is so much more data than just March 13th. And people that just focus on March 13th are losing – you know, they just they, – they obviously haven't looked at the data, because for weeks before, um, actually two months before – uh, I actually captured the same exact phenomena straight on, straight on, the, the, the mile-wide phenomena head-on turning into a V, and it was so unnerving that I called around the next morning, found air traffic controllers at Sky Harbor International Airport who saw the same thing at the same time, over Class B restricted airspace. There's a 30-mile radius around the center of the airport, and anyone that goes into that airspace, especially 1,000 feet altitude that this, these lights were, must call into the tower, and no one did. So they got very nervous, and they looked on radar, didn't show up on radar. They took their binoculars to look, and what they described were six points of light, totally equidistant from each other, massive span over a mile wide, that seemed to be attached to something, but they couldn't quite see what it was attached to. And you would hear this again by thousands of people two months later. And one of them was a meteorologist and said that the entire thing turned as a unit against the wind and then elevated slowly and moved in synchrony behind South Mountain, which is just south of the airport. So when I asked, well, what was it? There was silence. And then one of them said, beats me. I said, you're air traffic controllers. You're supposed to know it's in our airspace. They ruled out every conventional aircraft, uh, flares, Chinese lanterns, even skydivers with lights. And we kept in contact. And I, I continued photographing these anomalous light formations that were really compelling. They were huge balls of light up until and including March 13th, when I also captured, to me it was just another night, but I also captured the same exact phenomena in the same exact location. Again, but this time I captured the three endpoints of a giant V or triangle, and which the, uh, the air traffic controllers confirmed the next morning as also being in Class B restricted airspace while I was filming it. Well, what's very interesting is that This is like a grand finale around 10 o'clock, and it's it's very important to know this data because, as I mentioned earlier, the the sightings actually started on March 13th, Uh, and there were other people that were also photographing them for days before, as I was, at 3 p.m. that afternoon, and daylight sightings. And at 5 o'clock hour, they were seen in New Mexico by Native Americans at 7 o'clock hour in California. In fact, there's a report that I have in detail in the book of a uh, commercial airline pilot with 140 passengers. And there was also another airline pilot at the same time that we're seeing one of these mile-wide craft covering Las Vegas. This is the, the 11 o'clock hour, and their story was really amazing, too, because they were kind of warned off by the by the military. And then at um, actually 3 a.m. the following morning, uh, there was a call to the UFO, National UFO Reporting Center in Seattle, Washington, and we have part of that uh, recorded uh, report that's very detailed, very professional, from an alleged crewman who said that one of these craft, one of these mile-wide silent craft, was hovering right over central Phoenix at 8.30 that evening, and military jets were sent out to intercept it. Get gun camera film, which we heard that they did. As they approached the lights started to dim. And there were civilians that saw this, by the way, and confirmed that this happened. And these jets had the afterburns on as They were coming closer, and the lights started to dim. And then the entire mile-wide craft just disappeared and blinked out. And the crewman said that he was one of the people to help one of the pilots out of his aircraft because he was so shaken up by it. And then the last report that I that I know of, uh, after 20 years of, of working diligently on this investigation, Uh, Is actually a Boeing crew, and one of them actually told me this personally, that were coming into work at Sky Harbor International Airport, and one of these massive craft was hovering over their tarmac. So it wasn't just one or two events, it was many, many events. And when you look at the technology... It was mind-boggling, because besides the fact that it was so massive and still staying in the air at rooftop level, I mean, we had many witnesses say that they could have thrown a rock at it. It was so close. And and even in the documentary, we have uh, a pilot and and we have other people that were right, an artist that was right underneath one of what they would call a canister of spinning energy. The the light was self-contained. It didn't reflect out at all. Um, and some people even saw these orbs detach from the main object, go out into the environment, and then redock with it. Uh, others saw it take off at blinked feet without even dispersing the air. If you look at the GAP page, again, the Geospatial Animation Project page, one of the crafts split in two and then shot up in the air. I mean, this we're talking about technology. Barbara, that's 20 years later, and we haven't seen anything that comes close to this technology. So, you know, what happened on March 13th is pretty, pretty, pretty amazing. And once thousands of people saw what I had been documenting, and again, the very first sighting that my husband, who's also a physician, and I had, and we had no interest or knowledge in the topic at all was two years before the mass sighting. And I bring that in because we saw this up close and personal. We saw these orbs. Actually, they were oval-shaped objects right in front of our face, right outside our bedroom window. And I captured 35-millimeter photographs of them, which are posted on the Phoenix Lights Network uh, website on the photo page. So I had wondered for two years what this advanced technology was. And then when thousands of people saw what I had been seeing, pushed my whole medical career aside, to try to find a logical source and meaning for what I had witnessed and photographed, and I have yet to find it. If anything, it opened up a whole new world to me. And ultimately, after seven years and seven hundred and fifty pages later of uh, incredibly credible data, um, I literally pushed my medical career aside and and really did the homework, um, not only for myself but ultimately as a scientist, as an educator, as an experiencer, and certainly as a a physician, uh, to let people know that they're not crazy because it's not a mirage. um, Because most things can be explained, most anomalies can be explained, but a small percentage cannot. And just because we don't have the technology yet to definitively define what these things are, it doesn't mean they're not real. So it's time we get this topic out in the open, we address it, we accept it, and we study it so we can find out not only who's driving these things, but also move forward in our own evolution and i and I just caught the tail end of your uh, of your visit with Steve, and I know you got into the whole spirituality thing, and that's part and parcel of this, and that's that's you know to bring up your your beginning statements that's that was very difficult for publishers to understand when I first decided to come forward. And, and shared my book with Simon and & Schuster and Random House and Time Warner and all the big names, um, every single one of them said, there's two books here. There's a UFO book and there's a spiritual book. And I said, wait a minute, wait a minute. You don't get it. That's the point. yeah <laughs> Phoenix Lights. And, and, you know, we can get into all that and how the story unfolded, um, really woke people up uh, to not only their presence in a a very gentle, non-threatening way. There hasn't been one in 20 years, and this is important, too. There hasn't been one report, credible report, of harm, threat, or abduction associated with the phenomenon known as the Phoenix Lights. And that's very telling in and of itself, but they just didn't get it, um, that, that it was so important that everything had to be shared together it wasn't two books it was one book and that's the point that the phoenix lights not only wakes people up to and they're happening worldwide by the way and and doing this in other countries um and they've been doing it for centuries uh to their presence in a in a non-threatening way but also to who we are as human beings and the spiritual beings that we are and the positive potential we have to make this a better world and that's you know, something we can get into because they affected people at a very, very deep level in real time and long term.
2: Oh, absolutely.
0: (laughs) (laughs) No, absolutely. And, you know, it was almost 10 years ago that you were on Patrick's show and we were talking about the Phoenix Lights. And Mm -hmm. I think I called you the next day and I said, come on, the spiritual stuff is here. And then you you gave me the same explanation that you just gave me. And when I reread your book... It was like, okay, so, so she's finally, you know, opening this door, which is so connected, because in my experience, when I saw a UFO, it changed my life forever. And mm-hmm. you were also, you, you, we also interviewed you for the show that we did on um, near-death experiences, and how that changed people's lives forever. And so... So the purpose, among other things, of, of the slow-moving um, parade uh, was was that it it did something to the consciousness of everyone that saw it, and it shifted and changed their life forever. And and it's 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 amazing how the, the purpose was probably just to. I, I think that that truly that there is some sort of. Um, telepathy that we get from these objects and and it's at such a deep level we don't necessarily hear it with our ears but our spirit hears it and well, you
3: brought up a really good point you brought up a, can, I, can i interject or are you finished Yes. no interject okay um because that that is a really important point here because even in real time that was happening. And people did get telepathic messages, by the way, um, there, a the, the couple I, I shared in the book, but it was, it's, it's amazing how we're so inundated with threat, threat, threat and harm, harm, harm from, from these, there's another movie coming out, uh, this month actually, which supposedly is based on the Phoenix lights, which is, you know, really sad that, that Hollywood, uh, takes a benevolent, uh, like we had and, and really twisted into abduction, you know, uh, threatening alien-type scenarios, which are not true. Um, it's totally fictitious, and it's horrifying. And that's what we've been having so much in the in the uh, media and uh, and Hollywood. And six months before the mass sighting, interestingly, the movie Independence Day was really popular. And children were usually the first ones to see the Phoenix Lights coming towards them, the mile-wide V-formation and jumping up and down Independence Day, Independence Day, but as it got closer, like you said, a calmness came over everyone, a connectedness to the phenomenon that the kids wanted to run after it or have their parents get in the car. And there were a number of people who said that they had had telepathic messages. That were given to them not to worry that they weren't here to harm us. I mean, there was there was real communication going on. I mean, that doesn't happen. Uh, and plus the fact that, that the after effect was so profound, um, that doesn't happen with flares or balloons or uh, conventional aircraft. And interestingly, long term, um, people went into the peace movement, went into the environmental movement. I mean, really, to this day, I'm still getting. Emails and messages on on Facebook, if anybody wants to check out the Phoenix Lights Network Facebook page, which which also we have lots of updates on there as well as the website. And and to this day, it has changed people's lives. And you also brought up another interesting point, uh, Barbara. There were also a number of witnesses who had had near-death experiences as children that was reawakened by the mass sighting. And I found that really powerful because I did too. And as you know, I go into my my near-death experience in the book, but what was really, really hit me, it was like, oh, my goodness, you know, maybe there's a connection between all unexplained phenomena, whether it's near-death experience, out-of-body experience, or unexplained aerial phenomena that have a mystical light associated with the experience. And lo and behold, when I started looking again, I mean, there is so much data, credible data out there if you really look and search it out at the University of Connecticut called the Omega Project, Omega Project by Dr. Kenneth Ring years ago. And this was like a four-inch book. Um, And and, uh, Dr. John Mack at at, uh, Harvard, the Peer Institute, he was a Pulitzer Prize winner. Unfortunately, he was killed in a car accident in Europe when he was lecturing over there. Um, Right after, like six months after, my first presentation Even before I came forward, a month before I came forward in March of 2004, I, I presented in February at the uh, University of Arizona Tucson Medical Center with Dr. John Mack. And um, he was just writing a book about this very thing, about not only the connection between all unexplained phenomena, be it the experience itself, and I lay it out very simply in the book, but the after effect is so profound, the awakening, the connectiveness that the person feels, to the universe, to the earth and to each other that they've never felt before. I mean it changes people forever in a positive way, a positive transformation. So I started calling all unexplained phenomena UP and UP because it is an up. And and he also was, was coming to the conclusion that whoever is doing this is really trying to wake us up to the spiritual beings that we are. And and the message is loud and clear and for all experiences, as you know, Barbara, near-death experience as well as uh, contact, to wake up to what we're doing.
2: Oh, absolutely. To ourselves,
3: to ourselves and our planet before it's too late. And people come back with all these, you know, from all different kinds of up experiences with the same message. So there must be something going on there. Well,
0: what do you I think, think? Uh, yeah, I, I totally agree. And And it seems to me also that, it takes us from our perception of ourselves on this planet and it's it's kind of like we we're we we kind of it's almost as though we envision ourselves in a single level house and suddenly there's a wake up call and it says hey you know you're only on in the basement of a skyscraper move up mm-hmm. and and it—it's almost as though that door was unlocked, and 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 as as is appropriate for each individual, their spirit started giving them more and more and more information, and and greater insight and greater appreciation of the trip they're taking, the trip that that we're on, and and it did. I, I know Steve did say we we are a spirit on a human experience, not a human on a spiritual experience, so. Um the spirit within is is sort of celebrating when when we even acknowledge its existence, and once we exactly. do that and we embrace it within our lives, then our lives change dramatically and exactly I, I really, really believe that that all of these experiences that people go through and even the people that were standing next to me when I saw what I saw and didn't see it. It was I'm sure that something was triggered inside of them that 20, 30, 40 years later, there's an aha moment because mm-hmm. I, I and, and, yeah. yeah I, no, I really believe that the, that the awakening is taking place. But but for each individual in their own time and way.
3: Absolutely. That's that's the most important thing. That's the most important thing. First of all, you know, as far as the, the awakening, you don't have to have. An up experience, and i phenomenal experience, to have that awakening. By the way, I mean, if you if you really have, have come with it as an, with an open mind and an open heart, and start looking at the data, it's amazing how you will start appreciating the serendipities. I don't believe in coincidence anymore. There's so many coincidences that happened after the mass sighting and paranormal experiences that I have come to believe that there are no coincidences. But that's you know, each person has to find that out uh, on their own, as you, as you mentioned, and. And, you know, it is, you know, I I say all the time that the Phoenix Slates, you know, it's like they, whoever's doing this had had it with the military and the government. They're taking upon themselves to touch one person at a time. And it's how that person interprets it and how much that person, I mean, look, everybody comes from a different background, from a different upbringing, from a different belief system, different worldview. Some people can't deal with this topic. Some people don't want to. And that's okay. That's okay, everyone in their own time. But the data, the credible, compelling data is now out there. That's why I had to come forward and, you know, let people decide for themselves. And after I came forward, um, I was actually going back to work to help put our – younger son through medical school, he's a neurologist now. He's also in the documentary, he had a couple of sightings with us of the Phoenix sites. And um, I was chief clinical consultant over at the Arizona Heart Institute here at the Wellness and Imaging Center. And interestingly, when patients would come from their heart test to see if there's calcium in their heart arteries, main heart arteries, they would sit down, and the first thing I would say to them is, this is your container for your lifetime. And they would look at me, and they would say, wow, I never thought of it that way. And I would say whatever you put into it or not is your choice, but there is a formula to staying healthy, and then we would go into the wellness and nutrition and all that good stuff. Um, so, you know, we're we're right on the same, uh, same wavelength here, Barbara. I mean, it really is amazing how once people do start to wake up and start to notice that there is such a wondrous, wondrous universe out there um, that we have been so ingrained in a reality cube that it's starting to, to um, almost explode. I mean, now that there's so many sightings and the Internet is there to, to share everything, at, at, you know, uh, in split second in real time, um, you know, more and more people are realizing that, well, you know, we are not alone.
0: Well, yeah, and I think the other thing that, that I found um – fascinating is that that while someone may have had had may have well have an experience like this they will deny it and say I didn't see anything it doesn't mean anything and yet their life will still change whether or not they believe what changed it their life will change there will be a a better uh you know a, a greater sense of of being one with humanity and sharing and loving and giving and And, you know, I can remember at one point, I was serving in the pulpit of a spiritualist church, and I decided that it would be fun to spiritually baptize everybody with roses. And so one man came up and he said, you know, I don't believe in any of this. And I said, that's okay, I do. And, you know, (laughs) and he just looked at me and I said, if you feel better, that's the only thing that I care about. And, Mm -hmm. and he said, why do you feel better? And I said, well, then then either you ate well this morning or, or magic is happening or spirit is awakening, but you choose whatever it is. And if you want to blame breakfast for feeling good, that's fine. <laughs> well, you're right.
3: It is a choice. It is a choice. And I have to say, just interject here, too, that with the Phoenix Life Witnesses, I would say that, I mean, I, I haven't met one that hasn't said this, okay, and, and they seek me out. And that's the other thing. It's really important to to share your experience at least with one person, if anybody's listening out there and they've had an experience, um, it's scary to come forward. I mean, people, there's so much ridicule and, and discrediting, and, boy, it is rampant more and more. Let me tell you, um, with the 20th anniversary, they've been coming out of the woodwork. But be that as it may, the, if you share, it is very cathartic. If you don't share, it's it's not healthy. And that was another reason I came forward as a physician, because um, it festers and and just to share with one person, and I'm always, always available. It might take a little bit for me to get back to you, but if you want to go to the website, thephoenixlights.net, there's a contact uh, button. Uh, it, it goes right to my email, or if you want to message me on Facebook, Phoenix Lights Network Facebook page, just sharing with one person. And I take confidentiality very seriously as a physician um, is really healing so that's important too um, but anyway the people that had the Phoenix Lights experience I have to say um, you know and it really I mean it just keeps keeps being reconfirmed to me year after year it's not a believing anymore for these people it's a knowing
0: yeah yeah, and that's I think the one thing that, that you know I was now my my sighting was in the 60s um Mm -hmm. which really dates me but but and the ridicule that I got was was just amazing (laughs) um and and I finally said you know I would say to people look I know what I saw you don't have to Mm -hmm. believe me if you don't want to if you're going to ask me stupid questions I'll answer them but Mm -hmm. but don't ridicule me because you don't get the answer you expect I saw what I saw
3: Mm -hmm.
0: and I I know
3: yeah. 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 If I didn't have the 35 millimeter photographs that I've had extensively analyzed and authenticated at university and military level, I couldn't be talking to you right now, Barbara. Um, not only was it very precarious to come forward as a medical doctor, certainly, especially, uh, you know, at that time. Although we came a long way from '97, where it was really, really difficult to come forward. I mean, and it still is. I mean, there are are people out there for whatever reason that do not want this information out there. And uh, and they will do anything to uh, discredit the messenger so people don't listen to the message. Um, But nonetheless, the the material is out there now, you know, with our documentary, besides the book, um, which is now in the third print and as I mentioned, I every time the book comes out, I share more and more of of data that I never thought I'd share. Um, but uh, is, it really is exciting to share the new data, and the documentary, which has won over a dozen international film festival awards. I was starting to to mention when I was at the Arizona Art Institute, and finally came forward. And I have to tell you, nobody knew what I was doing behind the scenes. I mean, I was taking a 750-page journal. Uh, the the three years that I was working at the Heart Institute and that I went back to work to help with Dan through medical school and I was uh, editing down the 750 pages to the most credible data that I had discovered or documented um, and ended up with 250 pages. And once I came forward, I have to tell you, I had more doctors and nurses to take me aside to tell me their experiences. They were oh, thrilled yeah. that somebody, somebody of credence finally came forward to say, it's okay to talk about this. And then I was um, uh, uh, contacted by filmmakers, uh, one of which was Steve Lance. Um, and he had graduated from the Brooks Institute of Photography, which was one of the places that I went to have my data analyzed. and um, And he was very persistent. And I said, well, I said, first of all, and, uh, you know, I, I mean, I stayed anonymous for seven years. I don't know if anybody else would want to come forward, and especially the university professors that I was working with, because they could lose their grants if they even mentioned the word UFO. And besides, I said, you know, I was working seven to seven at the Heart Institute doing radio programs like this into the night and Borders and Barnes and Noble tours on the on the weekend. And he said he was coming into Phoenix to visit his parents, his dad's also a physician, um, with his equipment, and we were going to start uh, filming in, in June. And I said, whoa, whoa, you know, let me, let me get this together. I don't know how I can do this. And I started contacting the people because I really didn't think anybody would want to come forward. And every single person except one who came on later said that they would gladly do it, plus the fact, and this is what really got me, Barbara, I was invited by a couple of parents to a middle school here, which I could not believe they would even let me in the door to to talk about this topic. But I walked in to 200 middle school students and parents and teachers. You could hear a pin drop. They thirst for this knowledge. And it was the first time I realized that there is nothing, absolutely nothing in our history books about this topic. And I mean, I asked. I asked the, the crowd. I said, "Does anybody believe that we're alone in the universe?" Not one hand went up. And I said, "Does anybody believe we are not alone in the universe?" Every hand went up, and it was <laughs> like, "Whoa!" I mean, that that so convinced me that something was needed visually, as kind of a a gentle overview um, to to get this out there in a in a very gentle, non threatening way, just like the Phoenix Lights themselves, um, to wake people up and to give them, you know, credible data. To, to seeing the, the witnesses talk about it, seeing the experts, including astronaut Edgar Mitchell, who was in the documentary, who was being conferred with. I didn't know until I interviewed him. He was actually being conferred with by some of the investigators here while it was happening, and he said some amazing things. He's also in the bonus features, which are pretty amazing as well, um, talking about the cover-up. I don't go there in the documentary, but he does. Mm-hmm. in the uh, uh, And he was a six-man to walk on the moon, and he actually came back talk about spirituality, he came back a changed man uh, and actually formed ION, which which was uh, combined spirituality and science. Um, he was the founder of, of spirituality and science. And, um, you know, I mean, you have to really give him so much credit. He just passed recently, and he's so wonderful in the documentary. We also have other wonderful experts, a 911 police operator who was on that night who came uh, came up to me after a presentation she said i heard that the phoenix police said they didn't get any calls or got very few calls i said that's what they said she says well i just retired i'm here to tell you we got hundreds and hundreds of calls and she's pretty amazing in the documentary as well as pilots and military so once we started filming in june um you know, the next thing I know, I mean, it was just so overwhelming, and I, I had to make a choice and ended up uh, leaving the Arizona Heart Institute, which I hated to do, but um, I haven't looked back. It's just been an amazing, amazing adventure. We've won over a dozen International Film Festival awards. Steve is so talented. I mean, it was just the two of us working on this film. We could not have done it without the... Participants, of course, which are amazing, and uh, a number of them have passed, and I'm so glad that their voices will be heard forever in the Phoenix lights um, documentary but um, I, you know we we are so proud that they won it won over a dozen international Film festival awards and we keep it keeps evolving like the book keeps evolving so it is a documentary and we just released um, the latest edition called the Phoenix lights beyond top secret um, and we keep adding to the uh, to the bonus features and it's it's pretty amazing. I mean, people have really been touched by it. And even, you know, as you mentioned, I mean, there is a transformation that happens when you learn about it. And when people watch the documentary, um, they come away with
0: a, with a totally different, um, well, in, you know, in, than in, what they started. In many ways, what you're doing is providing another awakening for people that didn't see it. But I think one of the things that, that impressed me the most, um, was that that in in 1977 there was a great movie out and and it was called Close Encounters of a Third Kind by oh, Steven yeah. Spielberg, and mm-hmm. in in one of the scenes there's people waiting by the side of the road for these little objects to come swooping by, and what he did was he took he took all of the designs of UFOs that people had given, and and they're all there they're all represented there in his film, and the one line mm-hmm. in the film that really touched me and, and moved me tremendously was at the very end, you know, he said, you know, this guy has to be allowed to go because he was invited. And seeing a UFO makes you feel like you've been given an invitation.
3: Yeah, it, it really does. I mean, I've had people say to me that they felt blessed and have and felt blessed ever since that they had the opportunity to see uh... the the true unknowns um and you know other people say oh my goodness i wish i had seen them and i want to see them so badly and you know i always say keep looking up um i mean there, there are so many things in the sky now that we're not sure what they are um and those can be explained but nonetheless when you do have a true uh paranormal experience a true uh sighting uh you know it you know it and, you know, they, you know, we're getting into all this, which is really fascinating. The other aspect and, and I even go into the and we don't have time to go into how the story unfolded, which in in and of itself is fascinating. Um but this, this part is really important too. Uh as I mentioned, you know, I don't believe in coincidences anymore. Six months before the mass sighting And I, you know, so the audience knows I have dedicated my life's work for over 40 years to community education of vital health issues. Um, I started with NBC doing health reporting in 76, and uh, syndication grew from that. And when we moved to Phoenix in 1980, they were already showing the uh, syndication at CBS Station here, and then uh, I started Working with NBC here in, in Phoenix, uh, doing health reporting, and then in uh, uh, at USA Cable uh, when that was getting started, a show called The Great American Homemaker. I was their health uh, consultant with Vicki Lawrence, she was the hostess, and uh, also seeing patients in the in the uh, practice that were drowning in substance abuse. Adolescent medicine is my specialty, and wanted to do something really productive uh to wake them up and also entertaining and brought in my other hat, um, which was uh professional musical theater and, and have celebrities uh in the uh, in the videos that I that I produced um, on AIDS and teen pregnancy and substance abuse from Michael Jordan and Magic Johnson and the original cast from Beverly Hills 90210 and uh, Paul Abdul and so forth to give poignant messages of the reality of vital health issues. So when this fell in my lap, I have to tell you, um, I've been doing this for 40 years, I really felt obliged to do the same for this vital issue. and And that's how This has all come about, um, number one. Number two, I am now working on not only a curriculum for the last five years uh, for schools on this topic, but we just released... Uh, The Phoenix Lights, UFOs, and Crop Circles graphic novel, coloring book, Adventures of Sue F.O., Field Observer, and Hugh, H-U-G-H, Hugh F.O., and he's a little alien, and there's a graphic novel throughout the coloring book. It's 150 pages. is the black and white one, and 160 pages for the color edition um, of amazing, amazing um, data, the the 10 different uh, craft uh, pictures that that are really uh, iconic pictures that we use for the history, and 80 crop circles and games and puzzles are all available. All three things. The book, the Phoenix Lights of Skeptics Discovery, that we are not alone, as well as the documentary, and the graphic novel coloring book are all available on amazon if anybody's interested but uh it's for all ages the uh, graphic novel coloring book with with games and word puzzles and all kinds of good stuff and so now we have the trilogy happening. <laughs> <everyday. laughs> um but getting back to the to presenting my substance abuse program uh at the heel indian reservation six months before the mass sighting i was invited to present there. They have one school, and, uh, and I presented to the school, and I helped them out a bit. They don't talk to outsiders. And what makes this really interesting is that six months later, after the mass sighting, I was noticing, and if you go to the photo page on the Phoenix Sites Network website, you'll see uh, the data speaks for itself. Um, the same exact phenomenon, by the way, are in the same exact location two years before the mass sighting in the close orb pictures, which we didn't notice, but once we had them analyzed, and that's in a whole other story by Navy optical physicist Dr. Bruce McAbee, not only did he notice that the same phenomena was there in the same location two years before, and it's right there in the pictures, um, but he also noticed something else that was very strange is that we thought it was a couple of minutes. Uh, He noticed that the skyline proved and he did a whole 21-page report, um, that it wasn't just it was hours in between the first and last picture, and presented the case in 1999 at the On International Symposium as the first authenticated, as far as we know, the only uh, photographic evidence of missing time. But that's another little tidbit that I'll leave with your with your audience that I share in the book now. But um, but anyway, getting back to the uh, Hillbend, uh Reservation, um, if you notice that in all the pictures these phenomena keep showing up where south mountain which is just south of the airport is, intersects with the australia mountain range which is a few miles back there's one picture the first picture that i have on the photo page shows that topography and the Gila of the indian reservation very sacred ground is in the basin in between those two mountain ranges so i called them up and i said did anybody happen to see strange lights on march 13th and they started to giggle And I said, is that funny? And they said, are you kidding? We've been looking up at them for centuries. We call them sky people, light beings. It's part of their culture. I had no idea, Barbara. That was the first time (laughs) I had heard of of any of this. And they not only said that the Estrellas got its name, because of these phenomena showing up for centuries. Um, the, the Spaniards of the day either saw these same phenomena or heard about the, the uh the lore and uh named the Estrellas, which means star in Spanish, uh the Estral mountain range. Plus they believe that there is a portal or a gateway in that area. And again, if you just look at the data, and this is all speculation, um, but if you look at my photographic data, these phenomena keep popping up in that location. So that that may be true, but that's another little coincidence. And and if I could tell one more coincidence that has to do with the, the Phoenix Lights, we are celebrating the 20th anniversary of our historic, and it's now become the most witnessed, Most documented and most important mass anomalous aerial sighting in modern history, if not all of history. And what's interesting is this year we're also celebrating the 30th anniversary. The 30th anniversary of a movie that I also played a role, a principal role in, called Raising Arizona. Do you remember that movie, the Coen Brothers' hit film, uh, Raising Arizona? With, with Nicholas Cage and Holly Hunter and Francis McDormand and um, John Goodman, and they were all just starting out at the time, as well as the cinematographer, who I'll get to in a second. Um, but what's really interesting, I played, for anybody out there that did see the movie, uh, I played the mother of quintuplets. I was Florence, in Arizona, and one of the quintuplets was kidnapped by... Holly Hunter and Nicholas Cage because they could not conceive it's a black comedy by the way. And uh, after the baby was kidnapped, um, they had a press conference. Now I had totally forgotten about this, but a couple of years ago, and I hadn't seen the movie because it was released in '87. Since the late '80s, um, someone came up to me and said, "You know, there's a reference to your character and UFOs in the in the movie *Raising Arizona*." I said, "Really? I did not remember." And I go back and look. After the baby is kidnapped, there's a press conference in front of our home, and they stick a microphone in my husband's face and says, there's a rumor that your son was abducted by UFOs. Is there any truth to that? And the fellow who plays my husband says, please, please, son, please don't print that. If if his mama reads that, she'll lose all hope which is totally different than my own take. The Cohen Brothers had a very different take of it. But that was, that was one thing that this was 10 years before the mass sighting, where I became a key witness to the mass sighting. But be that as it may, the cinematographer, who was also just getting started, went on to do Big and When Harry Met Sally and The Adams Family and a whole host of other films, um, I think when the, when the West was one, um, he ended up creating and directing. The series Men in Black, the Men in Black film series that, by the way, the first one opened in 1997, the same year as the Phoenix Lights.
0: Oh, wow.
3: Yeah.
0: Coincidence? (laughs) I don't think so.
3: yeah so I thought that would be a little little interesting little tidbit for your for your audience'cause we we are celebrating it now the phoenix magazine has an eight page uh layout for the uh, for the for raising arizona uh in this month's issue of uh of the uh phoenix magazine and actually last month uh had a had a wonderful wonderful article about the twentieth anniversary and that's that's something that really needs to happen uh across the united states i mean the Arizona media has become so open to these phenomena. Uh, Even though some of the sightings are not, you know, UFOs. I mean, we have sightings that are weather balloons or blimps or even flares, um, which, by the way, was the only explanation they ever came up with. And uh, it was totally debunked by by the military themselves. For anybody out there that heard that it was flares three years later, well, first of all, it wasn't flares, um, the true unknowns. But uh, for anybody that saw it up close and personal, as as I did, and uh, over 10,000 people did right over their heads um but the air national guard tried to reenact three air national guards tried to reenact the phoenix lights three years after the mass sighting and they publicly announced it and we were all out there with our cameras and it was a joke I mean, talk about a joke and if you go to the news page which by the way was just revised by by steve lance um with with wonderful wonderful reports from the media this year. I mean they're really a model for what should happen, taking these topics seriously. Um but if you go to the middle of the page of the news page on the Phoenix Lights Network website, there's a block that says A Z family, which is uh the CNN affiliate you'll see what their flare drop looked like. And it, like I said, it was just laughable. I mean, they tried to make a triangle. It fell, fell apart immediately. It was upside down. It had huge smoke trails, um, which is what flares do. Um, not one witness to date has described any of the flare characteristics. It's quite, quite the opposite. Um, these things were rock-solid information. Flares can't do that. And that's been the only explanation. In fact, they've never... They've never the military or government had never addressed the mile to larger uh, v and delta and triangle and boomerang shaped craft to this day, so it's still uh,
0: unexplained it is, and you know we're we're coming close to the top of the hour. So you can breathe. Um. (laughs) (laughs) Well,
3: thank you for letting me share because there's so much to the story, and I do hope people pick up the book. There's so much more to the story, as you know, and and watch the documentary and uh, hopefully get the graphic novel coloring book, too, because there's some really, really great, great things in there to to learn more because there is so much more to the story.
0: Oh, yeah. And the story is not over. I mean, you know, I think that's, that's the one thing that that uh, people have to realize that that as more and more unfolds, and, and there haven't been sightings for a long time, I have a feeling there are going to be more sightings, so that, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, massive ones, so that it's, it's going to be very interesting to see where this all evolve, what this all evolves into, because I truly feel that that this is just the beginning of an amazing story, and, and there's so much more to come. And, and as as it happens, you know, you've revised the the video a number of times. This is third edition of the book. I imagine there will be four and five editions. So, so thank you so much, both you and Steve. I so appreciate your being here tonight.
3: And we so appreciate you having us. Thank you so much, Barbara, and keep looking up. You too.
0: Radio at We'll be right back after this message. This is Barbara DeLong, host of Nightlight Radio, inviting you to join me on a cosmic journey, exploring a metaphysical montage of spiritual material, covering everything from the mundane to the magical. UFOs to unicorns, and everything in between, including spiritual readings for those who seek enlightenment. That nightlight provides you with equal measure of light, love, and laughter, insight, wisdom, and inspiration. Monday nights, 10 to 12 p.m. Eastern, right here on Studio B, Revolution Radio, at freedomslips.com.